Will we ever stop counting the Kansas abortion vote? A new lawsuit is filed. Is another recount on the way? Plus, why the Missouri governor wants to give you lots of free cash. And are you ready for sports betting? It's supposed to start next week in Kansas, but is it about to be derailed? Also this week, he was in and now he's out. Was that the shortest campaign in local history? And is he still coasting to re-election? The big headaches now confronting the mayor. Those stories and the rest of the week's news straight ahead. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of AARP Kansas City, RSM, Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlise Gorley, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome, I'm Nick Haynes. It seems like it's been a while since we were last together. It has been over the last two weeks. We've been filling our gas tank with the oil we need to produce this program and so many other shows you enjoy on Kansas City PBS during our summer membership drive. But now we're glad to be back and we've got so much to talk about. I've got a lot of questions for the answers. We turn to KCUR's Lisa Rodriguez, Channel 9 Chief Political Analyst Michael Mahoney, from our own digital newsroom, Flatland Mary Sanchez. She's with us too. And from the pages of your Kansas City star, Dave Helling. Now, nearly three weeks after Kansas voters delivered their verdict on abortion, could we ever have imagined we'd still be counting the votes? Over the weekend, a partial hand count of ballots in the state's nine largest counties confirmed the lopsided result. But the recall efforts backers are not giving up. Mark Geetson, who leads the Kansas Republican Assembly, filed a lawsuit this week seeking a full statewide recount. He says in Wichita, Sedgwick County election officials failed to meet the deadline to count the ballots and some of the recount happened without outside observers present to watch. So is this election still not settled, Michael Mahoney? No, the election settled. It was an 18-point victory for the opponents to the value of them, them both. That's not going to change. What's happening here is that uh, the people that remain keeping this challenge up is giving a huge black eye to the pro-life movement in the state of Kansas and perhaps to a larger degree in the, in the country here. Uh, they, they look like uh, collectively a bunch of sore losers. Now, it's only a few people that are doing this, but they're reflecting back out on the right, the right to life uh, movement in the state of Kansas, and it's not a good look. I was looking through all of the uh, election results that came through from the recount. There were 194 different cases in all of those nine counties where a yes vote became a no vote, a no vote became a yes vote. So isn't that 194 stories that uh, folks who are very concerned about election integrity can now tell and say that things are not working quite right? Not necessarily, because on most all of these, and Chris Kobach could tell you this, when you drill down further, there's not that much there. It's not like you have dead people voting or you know all the horrid things that are vote fraud. You have mistakes that occur every now and then with that many, you know, chads, ballots, whatever. In the meantime, though, you have people literally pouring into Kansas to get their abortions. The wait times right now are for three weeks out. Dave, a lot of people were surprised that there could even be a recall for a vote that was so lopsided in the result. But for just less than 120,000, they were able to do a partial recount. Is there any effort now to try and change the law to say uh, you can't do it for such a small price or that it has to be a certain percentage before a citizen can ask for a recall? We don't know officially, Nick. My guess is when the legislature convenes next year, there will be discussion of trying to narrow 
the excuses for a recount because rich people could then demand a recount on dozens of races, costing taxpayers uh, lots of money beyond what they'd have to put up. So there will be some discussion of that. I think what we've learned in part, Nick, from this uh, story over the last couple of weeks is something that most political reporters know, and that is that recounts virtually never change the outcome of a race, even if it's half a point or a point difference between the winner and the loser. By and large, Mary talked about this, there were 100 and whatever, 70 votes that were changed. There were 910,000 cast. So when you have that kind of error rate in almost any human endeavor, you're pretty happy with the outcome. Recounts generally do not work, and I think we, that was reinforced through this last two weeks. We know that abortion was on the ballot in Kansas. It isn't on in Missouri, but I did see the Jackson County Legislature this week trying to put that on the ballot uh, this November. But if the state of Missouri has a trigger law to, uh, to ban abortion in the state of Missouri, how can Jackson County lawmakers uh, decide to say, oh, we're, we're not part of this, we can make abortion uh, legal in Jackson County, Lisa? From what I understand, it... It can't. This this appears to be a symbolic move, if anything. I haven't seen anything that shows that this would have any sort of preference, uh, precedence over state law, which in fact bans almost nearly every type of abortion. Can I just say quickly, there may be an effort in Missouri, Nick, right. to gather petition signatures to put abortion on the ballot. That's in court now, actually. There's some uh, legal this year, maneuvering. Though. But it would not be in November. It's too late for that, but uh, this November. But it might come to the to the Missouri ballot to sooner rather than later. What happened to all the talk that he was not a spoiler candidate? He's in it to win. I'm talking about John Wood, the former chief investigator for the January 6th committee, who gave up his job to run as an independent candidate for Missouri's open U.S. Senate seat, even though a PAC funded by former Senator Jack Danforth pledged $20 million to promote his candidacy. Wood is now officially out of the race. Is this the shortest campaign in local history, Mary? He got in seven weeks ago, and now he's giving up? I think, actually, Dave, did you already do the math? Well, no, it really I haven't was. done the math, but we it's can guess it's one of the probably, shortest, right? Yeah, yeah. If not one, if not the very much one of. But it wasn't, I don't think it was ever really about the race. It was about Eric Greitens. And he even said that in his own tweet when, you know, announcing the news that he was out of the race, is that the threat of Eric Greitens taking over and being elected again was so great that he was going to throw in to do it for the party, more or less. Now, it was viewed that he would take uh, votes away from the Republican candidate. Does this mean now that Eric Schmidt is now mo most likely to win this U.S. Senate race in Missouri? It certainly helps his, his campaign because if there were going to be any votes siphoned off, it would have gone away from Schmidt and to a moderate Republican independent like John Wood. Woods told reporters all over the state in the days after that primary, no, I'm in it to win it. That was his phrase. I'm in it to win it. I'm in it to win it. Wasn't in it to win it. He was in it to block Eric Greitens and boom, three weeks uh, later, he, um, he he's out. Doesn't look good for John Wood. It looks a little cynical on John Dan uh, Danforth's part. Um, a year from now, people say, what was the name of that guy that tried to run for the Senate? Nobody will remember. <laughs> and I will say what the shortest campaign was in 2009. Remember, Johnson County publisher uh, Steve, Steve Rose, Rose yeah. said he was running for Congress against Dennis Moore as a Republican. That was in September of 2009. Eight days later, he said he was withdrawing from the race. So we'll put that as the, uh, the shortest campaign in local <laughs> history. One of the biggest stories coming out of Kansas is that legalized sports betting is scheduled to start next week. But is Thursday's launch date now in question? 
as the state attorney general says he's discovered significant legal issues with the proposed betting rules. Does that mean you should chill your heels if you thought you'd wander over to one of the four Kansas casinos starting next week and start placing bets on the Chiefs? the upcoming college basketball season, or the next Sporting KC match. Lisa? I, I don't think so. I think all, all of the casinos that have been authorized to start sports betting are ready and raring to go. They're, they're set to go next week. In fact, just, just Thursday morning, we, we had them on KCUR's <laughs> air saying, yep, we're ready to go. And I believe the Attorney General at least indicated to one Kansas City media outlet this week that, they, that his office had, had cleared and resolved those issues that they found. So bets are all a go. What if I live in Missouri? Can I hop on over to, say, the Hollywood Casino next Thursday, which is when it starts in Kansas, and also start betting? Or is it reserved for Kansas residents only, Michael? No, if you put an app on your phone to bet at a Kansas casino and you're in the state of Kansas, even though you're a Missouri resident, yeah, you can put that flutter down. No there problem. is a lot of tracking that's taking place. You there is to get that app to show you actually in the geographic boundaries of Kansas. You have to put your social security number in there, upload your identification. Will that, have a, down there. Will that <laughs> have a chilling effect on some people who are so concerned, so alarmed about giving up their information that yeah, way? Yeah, uh, yes, because there are millions of dollars at stake in tracking people, not just for betting, of course, but that's how the Internet makes a lot of its money. Um, but I, I, I don't think that the, there was ever any danger your neck that this would not happen on September 1, in part because the last thing Derek Schmidt would want to do is be seen as the guy who stopped gambling yeah. in Kansas <laughs> when he goes to the voters in about eight weeks. So I think he just wanted to raise his hand, and, and there's been a little bit of political jockeying back and forth, but the bets are on. If you're from Missouri and you bet in Kansas, do not bring marijuana with you, which is illegal <laughs> in Kansas. Keep that in mind. All right. Now, we're all feeling the cost of living squeeze right now, so how does some free cash sound? Well, Missouri Governor Mike Parson is promising to throw some money away as he announces he's calling back Missouri lawmakers for a special session that could put a big pile of dollars back in your pocket. Now is the time for the largest income tax cut in our state's history. I'm struggling to find out what these reductions in income tax rates actually mean in real dollars. After all, you pay most of your income tax to the federal government, not to the state. So are we looking at thousands of dollars in savings here or a couple of hundred or, or a couple of bucks? You're looking at thousands if you make over half a million dollars exactly. a year. Yeah, yeah, you're going to do great. In fact, the Democrats and the uh, Center for uh, uh, Missouri Budget Project put out a projection uh, based on uh, strata of income, and those at the lower end are going to get a modest $10 a month if the income tax cut goes through. The, the voters should know there's some changes at the bottom and a reduction of the top rate from 53 to 4.8% if it passes. And we can talk about whether it's going to pass or not in a minute. But uh, the governor said everyone will benefit regardless of how much income you make. Is that true, Michael? Yeah, technically it is. But uh, what Dave just described is also accurate here that uh, the more taxable uh, liability you've got, the bigger cut you're going to get. And if you're down at the bottom, they're actually going to eliminate the bottom rate on a on this, and uh, so, so you get it on. The, the thing to remember here is Governor Mike Parson's record on special sessions is not exceptionally good, uh, and the legislature passed their own tax rebate plan that he vetoed uh, just before he called this special session. There's no guarantee that this is going to be a big green ball rolling through the legislature for Mike, uh, Mike Parson. There are legislators who liked a cheaper, less expensive package with this rebate that will probably fight for it again in the 
special. I, at this time when people are struggling, people may want to give the governor a big hug. So why are Democrats in the Missouri legislature saying this is not the time, this is a bad idea, Mary? Well, some of it is just to push back in the political space here. Um, but they do have some real fears because they looked across the line and it's the brownback fear. Um, which was put out by the Missouri Budget Office, um, that perhaps this is too much. I mean, eventually someone has to pay. If you cut out $700 million or $800 million out of the tax base, you know, who's going to fund all the things that, that we use as taxpayers? But I think Parsons' real game on this is that he really wants to give the kudo to the agribusiness. And another part of this is to extend those tax credits that are for you know, all sorts of co-ops and rural and even some urban uh, farming initiatives. That's also in there to extend from a two-year to a six-year on those tax credits. There was also a talking point through this session when we were looking at budget surpluses, when we were looking at federal dollars pouring into states, uh, pushed by Republicans that these should be used for one-time, short-term projects and not ongoing things because there's no guarantee that this is the kind of revenue that is going to be consistent in Missouri. So that's been another pushback from Democrats is can we afford this in the long term versus a plan that had bipartisan support in the session to do one-time payouts to address this inflation you know, tension that we're all dealing with right now. If you live in Kansas, Dave, could we ask what happened to Kelly's cash? I remember back in December, just before Christmas, she was advocating we're going to give a $250 rebate to every Kansan because we have all this money in surplus right. revenue. We never got any yeah, of that. Isn't it interesting that Republicans in Kansas weren't in favor of cutting taxes because Laura Kelly is on the ballot this year? Uh, whereas the Republicans in Missouri seem fond of the idea of giving a tax reduction to people. Um, uh, the, what Democrats in Missouri will tell you, Nick, is that the projection of a $4.9 billion surplus, which is a record in Missouri, is actually a bit of a mirage, that it will go away because that money will be spent. And at that point, if you cut $700 million permanently out of the tax base, you might be in a cash crunch in a couple of years, and that's what they say they want to avoid. As Governor Mike Parson wants to give money away, Kansas City Mayor Quinton Lucas is putting his hand out for more taxpayer cash. The mayor and council voting to place on the November ballot a $175 million bond issue to fix up Kansas City. Actually, it's two separate questions. A $50 million ask for affordable housing and the remainder going to repair everything from public swimming pools and fountains to the convention spaces at Bartle Hall. So what happened to all that pandemic cash President Biden showered on the city? And didn't voters in Kansas City already approve $800 million for these kinds of projects just a few years ago when Sly James was mayor? My message for voters is be proud of yourselves, be proud of the city. I'm very grateful for the trust you've placed in us, and we're going to make sure that we don't dishonor that trust. Now, that was $800 million, we were told by Mayor James, for a 20-year period. So what happened to all of that cash? Why can't the city be using that, Lisa? I think the city's found that it's very easy to spend $800 million on infrastructure, especially in a city like this um, that has so much infrastructure, that has so many lane miles. Um, and I think there are, there are always needs for that. I think there's been some tension on the city council uh, versus about 
what was the actual intent of that money and whether it should be going to projects to build new stuff or just rebuild the existing infrastructure that we have. And so I think we've seen that it's been easier to spend that money on the front end and that just because it's a 20-year property tax increase doesn't mean that it's going to last 20 years. And and that's one thing that is different from the, the $800 million versus the plan that the mayor is putting forth uh, for the November ballot. One increases property taxes, which is going to be something that Kansas Cityans will feel the effect of over the next 20 years. The other one is a is a bond issue. So the city wants to borrow the money to to address. We always get the impression, of course, because it's a bond issue. It doesn't cost us. This is free money. Is that really the case? <laughs> no, it's never it's never free. And Lisa just did a great job of explaining both sides of this. And it took her, what, 60 seconds to do that? That's going to be very difficult to explain to the voters. Really difficult to explain. It seems like an unusual ask, though, also from the mayor when he's running for re-election, really just in a handful of months, right, you know, at the beginning of next year, and yet he's now going to voters asking for more money. Why now? Well, that's one of the criticisms, Nick, is that he rammed this through for the November ballot with virtually no public discussion or debate about the project list. He offered it one week. It was passed the next. It'll go to voters in November. There, a lot of city council members are... Uh, concerned that it was just too fast. The other thing to keep in mind, and I'm not sure this is well known, is under the mayor's plan, if both issues pass, 50 million for housing and 125 million basically for parks and Bartle Hall, n all of that money will not become immediately available. They've actually, they'll have tranches of money, and the first year will be $35 million for all the housing needs, all the Bartle Hall needs, all the park needs, and they'll have to fight each other to get access to that $35 million. $60 million becomes available in year five. That's one-third of the entire issue. So there's some mirage uh, figuring going on from the mayor's office about how much of this money will be available for these projects, let alone the $800 million that passed in 2017. Now, Lucas still hasn't drawn any major election opponents, except for maverick transit activist Clay Chastain, but he's certainly been in the center of a lot of controversies while we were in our membership drive, and it's not just over issues like police funding. He's also being accused of walking back his commitments on a number of hot-button policies, including on affordable housing. These are the scenes from City Hall after the mayor pushed through the council a measure dropping a requirement that they set aside 10% of housing units for low-income residents. Wasn't this the mayor that was making affordable housing the big priority? Why the turnaround, Mary? Well, he felt like that builders and, mm -hmm. you know, the developers have pulled out, which is true. Uh, Matt Properties is no longer in Kansas City, and they weren't getting a number of projects that they thought that they should be still getting. The question is, though, did they do this too soon? In more time, might the projects that are already approved, you know, matriculate? And then would these other developers still continue to come in and agree to the measures of so many set-asides for low-income low housing, you know, agree to basically do their role in trying to uh, offer affordable housing to people? And we just don't know. It's interesting, though, that the uh, housing ad activists are calling, you know, this is a war now. And yeah. yet I remember Mayor Luke, Lucas, when he was running for election, he was going to be the mayor for poor people. Absolutely. And and he even when when he helped uh, pass the the ordinance that that went through last year he championed it as a victory look at what we're doing to serve you know not only people who make 70 percent of the median income but the very low income earners guaranteeing that that if you're going to get public money 
public incentives to to help build that you're going to do something good for the public in return and and so it is it an about face um, a bit and and maybe you know he saw a bunch of applications came in before that before that or law took effect um, and then we have seen this slowdown and so are, is he backing away too soon I think a lot of people are making that argument but uh, it's it is a little bit of a, a mismessaging um, from from the mayor and office. it wasn't the only turnaround we've seen in the last few weeks uh, it wasn't long ago the mayor was pushing a new requirement that all agency leaders live in the city now the mayor has asked the council to drop the residency requirements so they can hire the son of Jackson County executive Frank White to run the bus service so what's behind this change with the mayor well and the police department I mean a year ago he was cutting 42 million or moving it into other programs and suddenly he's the department's best friend at least in some ways he's still critical of some decisions they make well obviously I think it's politics Nick although interestingly I I don't have not heard of any significant opposition to his re-election campaign yeah. service yet certainly not in terms of raising money or or other things like that if he were to face a serious challenger, you would think it would be from the right, uh, more conservative people worried about the police, worried about other changes that he's made. And so it's pretty obvious to me anyway that he's moving to the center to cut that off, feeling pretty confident that he won't face a challenge from the left from people who would say, hey, we need to be more fair to the homeless. We need to cut the police department more. That doesn't seem to be surfacing that at all. That primary election would be in April of next year. Is it too late for another candidate, of, of a formidable candidate, to come forward to challenge No, I don't the think man? it's too late at all, but uh, the people that are considering it and the people that are, want others to consider it are probably in the decision-making uh, frame right now. They, uh, they can do it. Um, Kansas City Mayor's race can get expensive, uh, but, but it's not out of reach uh, where, you know, you could get in. It's, it's not late. I think where we might see some pushback to the mayor is not necessarily a direct competitor for for the mayorship, but in city council districts. I think that's where you may see more progressive, further left candidates vying for these seats that can collectively push back against some of these policy items from the mayor's and, office. And, and Those just, may be ones to watch. And just quickly, Nick. Uh, the mayor has had problems. We've talked about him on this show. We just talked about him a few minutes ago, but he's not Mark Funkhauser. I mean, Funkhauser running for re-election was in serious trouble because he was considered so uh, out of uh, touch with what the mayor needs to do. I think Mayor Lucas remains relatively popular with most Kansas Cityans. That makes any effort to upset him or to unseat him from the left or the right very difficult and very expensive. It may not be from the left or the right, but it might be from the north versus the south. Could be, mm -hmm. which That's is the same thing. <laughs> now, when you put a program like this together every week, you can't get to every story grabbing the headlines. What was the big local story we missed? Come on, Lenny! Pump it in there, baby! Just keep the trickling the ball down the field, boys. Remembering a Kansas City sports legend, he led the Chiefs to their first Super Bowl title and would become one of the city's best-known TV sports anchors, Len Dawson, dead at the age of 87. As more kids head back to school, a record number of districts now adopting four-day weeks, more than 160 Kansas and Missouri districts now cutting mostly Fridays from their schedules. 
In KCK, teacher shortages forcing district officials to bring back virtual learning. Wyandotte High School hiring teachers from as far away as Texas and Utah to connect with students via Zoom. It's not ideal, but it is a licensed teacher and it is someone who's qualified in the content area. The Shawnee Mission District just trying to hold on to its staff. The school board using pandemic money this week to greenlight $700 retention checks for all teachers, custodians, and cafeteria workers. Despite all the talk of a fix, no let up in violent crime. Homicides still outpacing last year and year to date, Kansas City now with the 11th highest murder rate in the country. Missouri's new photo ID law goes into effect this weekend. Two lawsuits filed to block the measure. The NAACP claims it'll prevent thousands of Missourians from casting ballots. A dispute on the plaza as Starbucks permanently closes its highest profile store. Some workers claim they were told the coffee chain was concerned about rising crime in the plaza area. Others claimed it was to punish workers for trying to unionize. And it may be a national story, but when the president announces he's wiping out $10,000 in student college debt, it has huge ripple effects here and for the tens of thousands of metro area residents still paying off school. All right, did you pick one of those stories, Lisa, or something completely different? I, I think it's hard to, to pick something other than uh, the passing of Len Dawson, such a Kansas City legend, someone I grew up not playing not playing football, but I grew up watching him uh, on, on my TV broadcasts. He was a staple, a lifelong Chiefs fan, and a, 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 a legacy that will always be remembered. Michael. Uh, the thing to remember about Dawson, I had the pleasure of working with him. I was not a close friend, but we enjoyed some laughs in the, in the newsroom. <laughs> well, it was no, number one, uh, he was in the, on the vanguard, almost the tip of the spear of athletes going into television. Way back when he was still playing for the Chiefs, he was on Channel 9 doing sports at night. And then the other thing is never on camera, off camera, public or private, did I ever see Lenny Dawson treat anybody with anything except respect. Mary. You know, I want to say Len Dawson just because of the same reasons you just said, just such a gentleman. Um, but I will throw in, um, you know, for the Starbucks. It was really interesting to hear the employees speak. And Kansas City PBS published um, an article that was taken from an audio of the conversation between the managers and the workers. And they were just distraught with and something that you just don't normally hear. There's the assumption that younger workers aren't loyal to workplaces anymore. Well, they literally not drank the Kool-Aid, but drank the coffee. They were hurt. Dave. Echo my condolences to the Dawson family and friends. What a story and, and what a career and life that man had. Uh, just quickly, every 20 years, the Missouri Constitution requires voters to decide if they want to call a constitutional convention in the state to, in essence, in essence, throw out the existing Constitution and draft a new one. Well, the vote on that, a lot of people don't know this, is this November. Yeah. I don't think it'll pass. I never understood quite why I should care about it, though. So why because we should you care? you could throw out Medicaid expansion. You could throw out marijuana in Missouri. You could throw out gambling, riverboat gambling. All of those are in the Constitution. A convention could toss those out. The Missouri you Constitution need... has dozens it's of amendments. It's pages okay. long. All right. So you need to pay attention to <laughs> and that. And that needs its we'll own program. Absolutely. <laughs> and on that, we will say our week has been reviewed thanks to Channel 9's Michael Mahoney and the star's Dave Helling. From our own digital newsroom, Flatland, Mary Sanchez, and from KCUR News, Lisa Rodriguez. And I'm Nick Haynes. From all of us here at Kansas City PBS, be well, keep calm, and carry on.